Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. December 7th. Earth 2. 1941. A world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All Star Squadron. And welcome to episode 66 of Tales of the Justice Society of America. I am your host, Charles McKnighter, and with me as always is... Snark Wesley. McGill. <laughs> Snark McGill. I was about to say Wesley Dodds. But... Oh, God. <laughs> Isn't he dead? <laughs> so is Charles McKnighter. But, but according well, yeah, to you, Scott, but according to you, Scott, if you haven't heard of them in five years, they've obviously just up and died. <laughs> oh, I, I did like your post about that. Actually, that was very funny. Well, as of, as of as we're recording this, uh, it has been announced that uh, actor Harry Morgan uh, from Dragnet and Mash and other things besides Dragnet and Mash um, <laughs> has passed away, and Scott's reaction to it was his reaction that always happens when an old actor dies I thought he died 20 years ago <laughs> and so I uh, I responded you think that all the time Chris uh, Honeywell jumps in and Scott's response was aren't you too dead <laughs> so the funny that is the tales of the JSA comics monthly Monday dynamic is brought to onto Facebook people so that's why you should be friends with us on Facebook because we post funny things 
Though I, I, I think what I think my next post was I don't care if you think there's a war on Christmas. I don't care if you say happy holidays. Can't we just enjoy the fucking season? So. <laughs> Amen. Uh, I think I saw that at a church recently. <laughs> Best thing I ever saw in a church was uh, when my mom first got sick when I was in tenth grade. We would drive by. Uh, this church on the way to the hospital and we were going through a really bad heat wave and the church actually had up on its thing you think it's hot here yeah i like that one and it's just like wow (laughs) that's great (laughs) just just to give you an insight into the anal retentiveness that is my mind though one time I, i read one on a on one of those church whatever you call those things a marquee or whatever that actually pissed me off to a degree where I almost stopped and went in to complain. Because it, it said um, the Titanic was built by professionals, Noah's Ark was built by an amateur. And I was like, what the hell is that supposed to mean? <laughs> it really pissed me off. But The only yeah. thing they could have done worse than that was, and the moon landing was faked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, then I would have been stopping. <laughs> Things just to piss off Scott. It would be funny, actually, to storm into a church sometime and go, I need to speak to the man in charge. (laughs) Just to see what kind of reaction. (laughs) That'd be great. Uh, My wife's asking me what's going on. Scott just said he'd love to go into a church and go, I want to speak to the man in charge. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Apparently it's better, better than the autographed copy of the Bible. (laughs) <laughs> well, did you see that on eBay? Put one of those on eBay. WTF? Yeah. And it was, um, so it was a Barnes and Noble special thing. And it was, and it said the Bible. And it had the little sticker in the corner that the Barnes and Noble has for autographed copies. And it said autographed copy. It was the Bible. <laughs> That's got to be worth some money. <laughs> you should get Stan Lee to autograph one. <laughs> Stan Lee autographing the Bible. <laughs> hey, true believers, in the beginning there was nothingness. <laughs> and then God said, let there be light, and Jack Kirby drew it. Well, it was the King James. Stan Lee here, from such notable titles as Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, and The Book of Ruth. The Book of Ruth. <laughs> well, Marvel did put out the Pope John Paul and Mother Teresa comics. I'm so. still pissed that they weren't playable characters in uh, <laughs> Ultimate Alliance, too. Though apparently, those two books were some of the highest selling yep. Marvel comics of the 80s. Yep. They so, absolutely uh, were. Which shouldn't surprise me, really, because, Jesus, there's a lot of Catholics in the world. I should know, I grew up as one, so. <laughs> oh, man. It's so- nice to know it stuck so well, too. <laughs> Well, there are... Have you ever heard of a C&E Catholic? Um... C&E Catholic is a Christmas and Easter Catholic. Okay, yeah, okay, yes, go. yes, I have. Uh, I'm pretty much at this point in F and W. I only go to funerals and weddings. So. <laughs> Nothing against the religion. I just have problems. I'm not even going to get into that. that. Oh, wow, I just almost started a serious email tirade. Yeah, I was just going to say... <laughs> <laughs> we, we've we've managed to uh, successfully skirt the uh, 
the the backlash of of horrible emails calling for our heads lately so yeah we, we probably just want to go right around that topic uh you can tell it's late and my filter that is normally on is not <laughs> functioning properly <laughs> wow oh, oh man so we have the second part of a special adventure of the Justice Society of America. <laughs> it's special in that special ed kind of way. I was about to say it's 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 I play I, I wear hockey equipment, but I don't play for a team special. <laughs> so <laughs> so <clears throat> this is. Did you have anything else before we dive into this thing? No, I um I'm good. All right. This stunning epic that is All-Star Squadron number 28. This is the December 1983 issue. Original cover price, 75 cents. Cover is by Jerry Ordway, and it actually is a pretty damn good cover. Mm -hmm. You've got a uh, giant specter standing out in front of, it looks like a courthouse or something. He's got his, uh, his shorts are just too tight is the only problem I have with this cover. I just do not need to see banana that. hammock. Yes, exactly. Um, but it's really a nice cover though, because you've got giant specter and he's stepping on a car with one foot. He's uh, about to crush Doctor Midnight in one of his hands. You've got Starman zapping him in the head. You've got Hawkman about to just knock the block off of him with his mace. He's swinging around Thor style. I think that's pretty cool. You got a Sandman swinging from one of his arms and the Johnny Thunder on his Thunderbolt which just looks creepy. You've got uh, Wonder Woman using her lasso. It's actually a very, very dynamic cover. And uh, what exactly did Dr. Midnight expect to accomplish by throwing one of his blackout bombs at the Spectre's chest? He thought he was hitting his face. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I think they just humor this guy by letting him stay on the team. You know what I mean? It's like it's like the dirty little secret that they like Johnny Thunder better than Dr. Midnight. Oh. <laughs> All right, writer editor on this is Roy Thomas. Richard Howell is the guest penciler. Gerard Fortin is the guest inker. Gene D'Angelo Dean D'Angelo colorist and Cody Sunchild is the letterer. The story is entitled <laughs> By Hate <laughs> Thought I could sneak that one past you. Story is entitled "By Hate Possessed," or as I like to call it, "Three-Eyed Snooze Fest." So, doesn't uh, we, that look like a total Marvel lettering job on it that does. By hatred possessed? It does actually. Yeah, it looks like an early issue of like the Avengers or something. Yeah, it totally does. You got. Uh, let's see here. We got Johnny Thunder, Hawkman, Wonder Woman, Doctor Midnight, Starman, and Sandman, and they're all mesmerized by the sight of Kulak's big, freaky blue hands poking out of a hole in the sky. So, after ordering the recuperating Adam to stay in bed, the heroes take to the sky to battle the Triclops, but are swatted away like flies. The Adam, really feeling his uh, fifth wheel status this time around, climbs out of bed and bemoans the fact that he can't do more when he is startled by the sudden appearance of Sargon the Sorcerer, who apparently gets his kicks sneaking up on people and scaring the living shit out of them, because we've seen him do this sort of thing before. (laughs) After spouting the prerequisite amount of mystic mumbo-jumbo, Sargon turns a rug into a flying carpet... 
Yes, I I really said that because it really happens. And takes <laughs> off to assist Sayers against Kulak. I just thought that was so I was like, come on. God. Um it turns out that uh Sargon's Ruby of Life, which is that gem that he wears on his oh so stylish turban, is the sister jewel to the one in the ring on Kulak's hand. Sargon gets close enough to touch the ring and is able to drive Kulak back into his native dimension, but not before the big freak delivers a swift cuff that knocks Sargon silly. Crisis seemingly averted, Sargon proceeds to tie up two whole pages on some mystical crap I could not give a rat's ass less about. Then that's when uh, the specter shows up to whoop all their asses combined. The Grim Ghost is still under Kulak's control, and while the heroes battle their former teammate, the villain uses his evil powers to do the unthinkable. Get this, folks. Here's what he does. He makes the people of Earth... Dun, dun, dun. Wait for it. He makes them all hate each other. Now, personally, and maybe this is just me... That's hard. I kind of thought we already all hated each other. You know what I'm saying? You know, maybe it's just me projecting here, but uh, you know, there is the little matter of a second world war going on at the moment, right? So, yeah, it's I, I uh, whatever. But hey, there's a chick fight, so <laughs> yeah, it's all worth it for that. I just wish they were in Jello and topless, but um, a mother daughter, ew. Oh yeah, that's right. It does say it's a mother. Well, hey, well, you know. There's a place for that on the, uh, on the, uh, never mind. On the interwebs? Yes. <laughs> anyway, this goes on for many more pages than it actually should when Sargon saves the day a second time around by pulling the dimensionally displaced Dr. Fate back into our reality. Fate battles Kulak, but is not, uh, excuse me, but is no match for the Blue Meanie. All looks to be lost when Kulak blasts fate and steals his helmet. I hate when that happens. But <laughs> this was Sargon's plan all along. <laughs> I'm cracking myself up. <laughs> That's no, bad. Seriously, Scott, sit back. How funny it's... are you? <laughs> now he knew he knew fate couldn't handle uh yeah, he knew fate couldn't defeat Kulak, but likewise that Kulak could not control the helm of Naboo. And so is himself blasted into eternal, an eternal tumble through the dimensions, lost forever down reality's rabbit hole. The specter recovers and says something to the effect of, I'm sorry, my bad. And as a consolation prize for having lost the helmet, plucks fate's whiny-ass girlfriend, Inza Nelson, or Inza, her, actually her name's not Nelson yet, it's Inza whatever her name is, out of their Salem Tower and delivers her to Kent Nelson's side. The story ends with the specter presenting Nelson with his stupid looking half helmet thing and fate and his gal pal look on as the rest of the team flies off to new and hopefully more entertaining adventures next issue because you demanded it. The seven soldiers of victory. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I'm looking forward to that very, very much. So uh, let's see, historical notes this time around. Vamp, 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 because I don't have the page bookmark. Clang, 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 go the trolley. Here we go. Oh, I love that song. Uh, let's see. <laughs> this issue's inker was Gerard Fortin, a prominent French cartoonist. Okay, nice for him. 
A postscriptum at, at Story's End announced that after renouncing it again in issue number 28, Dr. Fate only regained Naboo's helmet in the early 1960s, just in time for the first of many Justice League Justice Society team-ups. It was promised that this story would be told someday, somewhere, and I don't think it ever has been. Uh, this issue contained a two-page Infinity Inc. pinup penciled by Macklin and inked by Ordway. Included uh, with the others are Power Girl and the Huntress from the 1970s All-Star Comics revival, which we covered in the very earliest episodes of this show, and a new motorcycle-riding character in an orange Wildcat-style outfit referred to as, I'm going to pronounce this, Legaro. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spanish for the claw. And every time I read that, the claw, I think of those little green alien guys from Toy Story going, the claw. (laughs) And finally, we get a picture that looks a hell of a lot like David Niven at the bottom of the page here. And it says, do you believe in magic? Only when Sargon the Sorcerer uh, greets them on a flying carpet in number 28, do the Justice Society realize he's more than just another stage magician. Comics uh, wizards like Mandrake, Zatara, and Sargon were to a great extent expire, uh, inspired by the likes of Harry Houdini and Harry Blackstone. Blackstone the magician has uh, been called perhaps the most innovational magician since Houdini and achieved great popularity in the U.S. during, during the 1930s. He even had Smith comic book during the 1940s and was by all accounts a royal asshole. Uh, that's my uh, note, by the way. He stole a lot of stuff from Harry Houdini. He was, uh, yeah. I used to be a huge, huge, huge Houdini fan when I was a kid, and I read a lot of crap about uh, Harry Blackstone. Anyway, uh, actually, that's not the last note. There's one more note here. It says, I shall return. Unlike the flying eye earlier, thank God, Kulak was precisely what he seemed to be when his huge talon hands tore open the sky. Art by uh, Howell and Fortin, script by uh, Roy Thomas Kulak, was seen over the earth, or all over the earth, rather, at the same time, including by embattled U.S. forces, who by February 1942 had spent two months holding off the Japanese on Corregidor? That's how I'm going to pronounce it. Corregidor? I'm not sure if that's right. A small rock island off Manila in the conquered Philippines. Juggle, uh, yeah, juggle. General Douglas MacArthur, uh, seen here in December 1941, would soon be ordered to flee Corregidor for Australia so that he would not have to surrender along with his surviving troops. Hmm, sounds like there's a, an interesting story in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much for historical notes. So, Michael Bailey, what have you got on the awesomeness that was <laughs> All Star number 28? Um, like you, I really liked the cover. I liked the grayness of the courthouse, or whatever that is, against the colorful characters. Not even not just the heroes, but the people running for their lives, and the cars kind of toppled over. It's just a really dynamic cover. Much more interesting than anything that happens in the actual book. Um, my first uh, note comes on page three. Now, uh, we're good friends with Luke Giaconetti, and we've kind of gone back and forth with him, jokingly and friendly, I would say, uh, about, you know, us kind of, every once in a while, busting on Hawkman. And I know what it's like to have a favorite character that everyone busts on. I'm a Superman fan, for crying out loud. Um, 
wow, if you want to have a character made fun of more consistently over his existence, I can't think of another one besides Superman. Oh, God. I'm about to go on a tirade about people I knew back in the 90s who were assholes. Um, Hawkman, as presented by Roy Thomas, is more often than not kind of arrogant and comes off as an ass. Uh, I, I think this is an interesting characterization for, the, for, for Hawkman, simply because it kind of separates him from the pack. And really, a dude that would walk around bare-chested with wings on his chest has to have a massive ego to begin with to be able to walk around bare-chested with wings strapped to your chest. Um, however, he and Wonder Woman are just grade-A assholes to the Atom on page three. I don't get it, the Atom says. If this Kulak creep wants to... <laughs> He's a cavity creep. Uh, <laughs> crest! Crest! We make holes in teeth. We, <laughs> we make, make holes, holes in sky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if this Kulak creep wants to total the planet, why doesn't he just come out and just do it? And that's a, Wonder Woman goes, that's exactly what the Justice Society intends to find out. By the way, when she says that, she looks like a girl trying to get away from a guy who's coming on to her. And frankly, with his chest and the mask, it seriously looks like he... If I took the dialogue out of this, it yes. totally looks like he's trying to get her into bed. So, but she's ser- secretly, or in all reality, calling her robot plane. Uh, <laughs> actually, uh, looks you could t- you could have a lot of fun yeah. redubbing that panel because it it looks like you should be saying something like, "Seriously, baby, it's it, it's it's not you." <laughs> Come on, back to bed. Come on, no, back really, to bed. I got a headache. Um, so, <laughs> so. Adam goes, yeah, well, I'm one-ninth of the current roster, so where does that leave me? Right in bed, till we've dealt with this menace. Hawkman's right, Adam. Frankly, you just be in the way up there. After all, even when you're hailing Hardy, you don't have any special powers, you know? And we have a very Marvel... In fact, this whole thing feels very Marvel, but very Marvel panel of Adam in bed gnashing his fists, going, what good am I? Just flopping around in this hospital bed, waiting to see if the whole world lives or die, dies. So, okay. Assholeish statements aside, maybe they were just trying to be hard on the guy so he'd lay down, right? Hurt his feelings, whatever. Outside, Starman says, you're kind of tough on the little guy, people. He's a jsa He doesn't need to be coddled. <laughs> Hawkman, you are a fucking asshole. You know that? <laughs> I am dead serious. Jesus, man, no wonder your son hates you. Well, you know, you've kind of hit upon something. Maybe this is why I've been so tough on Hawkman. Because this is the most concentrated Hawkman I ever read was this series. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And because he he is largely a real dickhead in this, maybe that's why I've I've come to feel the way I, I I have about him until you know more recent times. Is that does that logic follow? You think? Yeah, I I I, I could see. I kind of feel the same way that this was uh, until Jeff Johns got a hold of him, and I really liked what Jeff Johns did with Hawkman. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed uh, JSA, and I enjoyed. The Hawkman solo series, and I'm very happy now that I've managed to secure, based on your recommendation, the uh, Palmiati and Gray run on the character after 
<clears throat> after Jeff Johns left. So I uh, got it really cheap, by the way. <laughs> Some of those bad boys I only paid a quarter for, so... That's the way to do it. Yes, sir. But um, really and truly, I don't have that many notes outside of what jackasses the uh, Wonder Woman and, and Hawkman are uh, to Adam. Uh, Sargon shows up on page 7. Interesting to note that this came out in the same month that the Justice League of America issue came, yeah. came out that we covered two issues ago where Sargon shows up. So Roy Thomas writes Justice League of America and All-Star Squadron, two different eras, two different Earths, Sargon's in both. Only in comics, people. See, it, it gives you the false impression that this Sargon guy is actually somebody important. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. It, my, my next note was, it doesn't change the fact that Sargon the Sorcerer sucks so bad he has his own event horizon. <laughs> Seriously, this guy is awful. Zatara aside, who I don't mind. Um, Mandrake the Magician who I've always liked because he was on Defenders of the Earth, which was this badass animated series mm-hmm. in 1986 that had Flash Gordon, the Phantom, Lothar, Mandrake the Magician, all teaming up with their kids to fight Ming the Merciless. And in the first episode, they killed Dale Arden. Whoa, really? Yeah. I, had ne- I was 10 years old when that show came on. I had never seen that before. And that will always separate that show from the typical syndicated cartoon fair of the 80s. Is that in the first episode, Flash Gordon's wife and his son, you know, the son, the mother of, uh, of his son dies and be, and her personality gets put into this computer. So it becomes kind of sentient. But, uh, neat idea, regardless. God, that's a concept that I'd really like to see come back. Um... I just don't like. I just don't like Sargon, and he's he's treated with such respect in this issue, and really doesn't do a whole lot <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. But it does get him a place on the All Star Squadron, despite the fact that it's a JSA adventure. Uh, really got bored halfway through when we did the whole flash, the two pages of flashbacks. Um, yeah, I just didn't care. I, I liked how Thomas took all of these separate stories from the Golden Age and kind of tied them all together. That was cool. Right. But that's his thing, so it's something that I've come to expect from a Roy Thomas comic. Just, seriously, not not really happy with how this whole thing played out. Um, my next note actually comes on page which page is this i didn't write down the page page 21 really you're gonna bring inza here so she can cry some more yes jesus <laughs> um i think what bugged me about the art this time around is that it's a book in 1983 that looks like it was drawn in the golden age yeah, I'll give you that. Absolutely. And I'm not saying the artwork is bad because, one, I can't draw, so I'm not one to really talk about good or bad art. But, two, you know, we've had Rich Buckler on this series and we've had Jerry Ordway, two men who were very much of their time and still kick out some really great comic book art. 
So they, they have kind of a timeless feel to them, but they also felt modern. This feels retro and really was kind of awkward for me. I, I, it's, it's one of the things about these two issues uh, that we've been covering that I didn't like is that as much as I like some Golden Age issues, I really don't like the main story looking and feeling like one. Right. And with how wonky this story was, how all over the place it was in terms of characterization, I just... I just wasn't a big fan, and I and because of that, I didn't have too many notes. Uh, I do like the fact that we're coming up on the Seven Soldiers of Victory story. Yeah. Mainly because of that gorgeous Jerry Ordway cover that made them look more epic than I think the Seven Soldiers of Victory have ever looked. I've got a real soft so. spot for those guys. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I don't They're remember that team. story very well. Yeah, they are a great, uh, really good team. So, yeah, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to that. So uh, what do you got on this? Oh, my goodness. I, I don't have a whole lot either. And as a matter of fact, you and I had uh, parallel notes on a, on a number of things here. Um, right off the bat, uh, I really enjoy this cover. I, I, I think it's a fantastic cover. And I, I may have I may have stated this before. If I have, I, I apologize. And also, I apologize for the, the crudity of my next statement. But. You know, if I ever had to fight a giant, it might be Dirty Pool, but uh, I think Hawkman's wasting his time by winding up his mace to clobber the guy in the head. I'd hit him right in the balls. You know, he's a giant. It's a huge Dirty target. Dirty Pool, old man. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but, you know, you, you, you go for what works. You know what I mean? Uh, ah, yeah. let's see here. Especially since you could probably treat those things like a speed bag at a box. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, it's weird that I didn't really care for it last issue, but this time around, I, I like the the Spider Man thing that Adam's doing with his mask, particularly on page three, that fourth panel where he's laying in bed, just kind of being a whiny baby. You know, what good am I laying in this bed? And I'm like, come on. Suck it up. Um, I had the same note about uh, the the statement here where uh, Hawkman says he's a JSA or he doesn't need to be coddled. I was just like, what a dick. <laughs> um, I love this part. Page three, the last panel, where they decide that, uh, okay, uh, I believe it's Wonder Woman that says, all right, my friends, time to switch to attack formation. And you've got... Um, You've got Hawkman on one side, you've got Starman on the other side, and in between the two of them, you've got the invisible jet. And they're laying out their strategy, they're charging into into battle. And I'm just thinking, you know, it has got to be a royal bitch to coordinate an attack when one of your attack group is freaking invisible. (laughs) It's just got to be a little (laughs) bit difficult, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Oh, my God. I think that somehow, even though they call it an invisible plane, sometimes I think that the writers just kind of forget that, hello, it's invisible. Uh, You know, it's because it it has that, you know, that that visual cue that's given to us, the reader, you know, of of making it like transparent, like it's made of glass or something. But, I mean, it's supposed to be literally invisible, right? I mean, these guys are not supposed to be able to see it. 
I know you're not a fan of the show, but there was a really good gag once on on Family Guy where Superman flies up to, to Wonder Woman who's in the invisible jet and you literally can't see the jet. She's just sitting down. And he's like, hey, Wonder Woman, how are you doing? She goes, oh, man, this is awkward. I'm actually in the the bathroom of the invisible jet. <laughs> so she finishes. You hear a toilet flush. She goes back up and sits in the front and, and sits down again. He goes, you know, couldn't help notice that you didn't wash your hands back there. <laughs> All right, that's yeah, actually so, funny. I like that. I see what you're saying. It's why in... Uh, DC uh, Jail Justice League New Frontier and 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 DC New Frontier the the comic it was based on that the scene of Wonder Woman crashing towards the end of the story and her her in the invisible jet is you don't see the jet the only reason you see an outline of it is because she's bleeding profusely and the blood is showing the outline of the plane. Hmm. And it was actually really cool. I was like, wow, that's awesome. Page uh, six, first panel. Um, I'd just like to remind the team that, uh, you know, the fate of the world is at stake here. Not a good time to let the blind guy fly the airplane, okay? I forgot totally to say, what the hell? Hey, Dr. Midnight, you take the controls. (laughs) I just imagine him sitting there going, wee! (laughs) Why are they constantly letting the blind guy drive? (laughs) Because everybody else is doing something useful. We've talked about this before. Oh, my I God. I know we have. I remember it vividly. <laughs> <laughs> is Wonder Woman flying in that panel? Because I can't remember. Can she, she can't fly during this era, right? No. Um, so what she it, couldn't. What is she doing right there? She's not in the plane. She's not even on the plane. She's got Starman's energy rod in her hands but can she use it well i guess (laughs) oh god the things i was about to say about you know wonder woman (laughs) using the dildo looking device i just i'm sure she can scott (laughs) and then you've got uh (laughs) going right by that very good yes i think i should just leave that alone Well, then you've got the part where uh, Johnny Thunder, who, I, yeah, I've got my issues with him, but he tries in this one part and he has the Thunderbolt catch Hawkman who's plummeting out of the sky. And he says, hey, while you're at it, T-Bolt, do you think you could zap Kulak from here uh, from here to blazes, too? And the Thunderbolt says, sorry, Master John, I'd be glad to try, uh, of course, if you insist. Uh, but even from here, I can tell he's out of my class. And I'm thinking, how is anything out of a genie's class? I don't get that. I mean, he he's I mean, he is sort of like a genie, right? He should pretty much be able to do most anything, right? Yes. I, I'm a little confused by that. It, it seems like, well, I don't know. Then again, is this in that era? No, that hasn't happened yet, has it? Where the genie's powers were like waxing and waning or something like that? I don't think it is. Yeah, so it doesn't that doesn't quite add up to me. Because don't we see later on 
where the genie pretty much has like like mixel uh, mixes spit like level powers, right? Where I mean, yeah, he can pretty much were, alter reality and shit, right? Because in that Grant Morrison story, they reveal that they're from the fifth dimension, which I thought was stupid. Yeah, but I mean, I I know I know for a fact that I have read uh, Thunderbolt stories where I mean he was able to affect like massive reality shifting changes and stuff. So this dealing with this Kulak guy should not be a big issue for the Thunderbolt, I wouldn't think. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just it seems a little inconsistent to me. Um comic book cliche alert and uh I'm just calling I want to say right now calling a moratorium on this from now on. I don't want to ever see this again in a comic book. I've read it a billion times. I'm sick to death of it. Third panel where we have the reaction shot of all the uh, you know all the straights down in the street looking up at the big you know blue freak coming out of a hole in the sky and saying things like the Justice Society failed and all these different things, and then you've got the and this. I swear to God, you always get somebody that says, "All we can do is wait and maybe pray." Ah, hate that. <laughs> I hate it so much. I never want to see that. Really, again. that's all we can do. Yes, exactly. All. We can do. Uh, I'd like to be in one of those comic book panels. I'd be the guy that's running in circles with his hands in the air, screaming just to freak everybody else out. I think I, I think that'd be much more entertaining than the guy that says, all we can do is wait and pray. Yes. Huh. Not that I have a problem with prayer. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, again, I don't want to get into religious territory here. I'm just saying that that's one of those cliches in comics. I'm sick to death of reading it. That one in... Uh, you know, something Let's hit them hard and fast. Yeah, hard and fast. Uh, you know, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Um, I, for a guy for that big, that big, really how does he move, move so fast? So fa- oh, yes, God. I hate that one. <laughs> it's <sighs> like, really, John Byrne? I love you to death, but you use this yes. so often. Yes, he does. He, yeah, he really <laughs> used that one a lot. Yes, I will completely agree with you on that. Let's see what else here. Page nine. Um, yeah, Kulak is just wrong in every panel of this page. Yes. Uh, okay, yeah, I love this. First panel. All right, their first attack failed, so they're going in to try again. You've got Starman zipping in. It's actually a pretty decent-looking panel from Starman's perspective. He says, same attack formation as before, but this time, let's give it all we've got. I'm thinking, okay, that implies that you didn't give it all you had the first time around. <laughs> I'd be a little bit insulted if I was one of the other heroes. I'd be like, hey, man, I'm trying. I don't know. It's just a, it's a little bit weird. All right. Really, Starman? So you were holding back before? Yes. Are you high? <laughs> just to show you how much I've enjoyed this story, I'm going to skip straight from page 9 all the way to page 22 of the story. That's wow. how much we both did the same thrilled thing. to this adventure. Um, at page 22, panels two and three, you've got Sargon. As he speaks, he, he reaches down and he uh, touches a manhole cover and says, Manhole cover, take me back to my matinee in Philadelphia. And we actually see him fly away in the sky on a manhole cover, very similar to, like, say, uh, um, Mr. Miracle riding his his discs, those gravity disc things he travels around, and I'm thinking, uh-huh. hey asshole, that's city property. 
You know, you can't just make off with that shit. Not to mention the fact you're leaving a giant friggin' hole in the street. A little yeah. kid fall down and get hurt. I was about to say, what the next that's... day, I got the ball! I got the ball! <laughs> and then all of a sudden it cuts to like a bunch of flowers and like a picture of the kid near hey. it. <laughs> <laughs> Dick. And what and somebody scroll a hastily scrawled note, God damn you, Sargon the Sorcerer. <laughs> I'm just thinking that all right, granted that no like buildings got knocked over or anything like you know, there wasn't like massive collateral damage, but at the same rate, these are the kind of things that uh, that I'm thinking, you know, if this was a video game, this is the sort of things that lose you prestige points. You know what I mean? <laughs> You know, melting doors to get down the stairs and, you know, stealing manhole covers to fly you back to Philadelphia and shit. You know, this isn't how heroes behave. But um, it's couldn't he just use it? I mean, you know, he already stole a rug from the from the hospital. Why? What the flying carpet's not good enough anymore. Now he's got to have a flying manhole cover. What Something a, that that occurred to me that I that I left out of my notes on page twenty one is that Starman like erects a barrier between the cops and the reporters because Kent Nelson is standing there with the Doctor Fate helmet off and they're like, well, we're going to protect Kent Nelson's secret identity. Really? You mean the average looking blonde guy who <laughs> probably looks like every other freaking blonde guy in nineteen forty two? Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, that's actually another one of those comic book cliches that makes me absolutely nuts, you know? Wait! Kent Nelson spent his entire fucking life in a pyramid! Who the (laughs) hell knows who Kent Nelson is? Exactly, exactly. You know, now that you mention that, and I know this really has very little to do with what we're talking about here, but now that you mention that, that's actually one of the things that I felt like Spider-Man 2 never really got proper kudos for. It took a lot of shit, as I recall, from fans of having a lengthy sequence in that movie with Spider-Man without his mask on so that, you know, Tobey Maguire could get his face shown on screen. I'm sure that's why they did it. Yeah. However, I think the logic holds the same in that as as in this. is like at the end of the day, eight million people live in New York City. Who the hell knows who Peter Parker is? He's just a freaking dude, you know? Yeah. He's just he's just another citizen. So the, the, yeah, the I, difference there is, and just to play devil's advocate for a second, is um if somebody took a camera phone picture right, yeah. And then went to the Daily Bugle. This is true. Yeah, but no, but 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 in this case, it's it's even worse because he um, he's spent his entire life out of the country. <laughs> it's not like Wesley Dodds, who's I think something of a playboy, or you know Starman Ted Knight, who's who's kind of a playboy as well. I mean, these are people that are in the society pages. Right. Who, who gives a crap about Kent Nelson? Right. Well, and plus, aren't they? They're in New York City, right? And Kent yeah. Nelson's from Salem, Massachusetts. I mean, they don't know this guy. I mean, he's not. I mean, he's not famous or anything, right? What, yeah. It, no, not at all. Yeah. So, it's yeah, not like it's, Carter it's, Hall, archaeologist. Right. I mean. Well, plus the, the 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 thing about that scene that kind of bugged me a little bit was that. You know, one of the people that Starman traps on the other side of that wall is a police officer. 
I mean, does the JSA, I mean, are they really acknowledged at this point as some sort of like branch of arm, you know, like armed services or, or the well, they're heroes and people, people know who the JSA are. So there's the, you know, they are the justice league of their day. So I would assume that they have some kind of power. It just seems like, you know, this is one of those things that, you know, obviously you're not really supposed to think about it or whatever. But when I see things like this and realize these are the heroes being kind of unheroic, you know, being being kind of dickish, you know, like throwing their power around a little bit too much. It always makes me uncomfortable because this scene right here with Starman, you know, he's very much using his power you know, to, to basically hold common man back, you know, like, you know, you, you guys stay over there while we deal with our superpower stuff over here. You know, and you got the same thing with Sargon stealing the manhole cover and the last issue Firebrand melted down a door and stuff. And it's just like, this, this isn't how heroes should behave. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I agree. At least, you know, when, when Superman gets into some great big fight, you know, and levels half a city or something, I always imagine that, you know, the next day Superman's out there helping re- rebuild stuff. You know what I mean? He's he's helping, like, repave the streets and, you know, put the buildings back upright and stuff like that, you know? Because a lot of times we've seen that sort of thing. We never really had it even alluded to here that they were going to pay for the door or, you know. I mean, they didn't even tell anybody. Oh, by the way, that door was locked. So I had to melt it to get back in. You know, sorry about that. You know, nothing. <laughs> they just, you know, that's wanton destruction of private property and nothing said about it. It's just, it's weird to me. Or do we want to talk about the uh, the splash page at the end, the double page splash? Yeah, the, uh, we got Infinity Incorporated by Macklin and Ordway, and you can really tell that Jerry Ord- that Macklin penciled this and Ordway inked it mm-hmm. because it really doesn't look like Jerry Ordway all that much. No. Nothing against Mike Macklin because it's a, it's a nice two-page uh, splash and an ad, and I like the fact that they're promoting the fact that Power Girl and Huntress are going to be in yeah. the series. Because they were shockingly underused in that title. Uh, but you have Lagaro, uh, and we talked about this before we recorded last week's episode, um, that she looks kind of like the Vixen. Yes, from her very early action comics, and, and really what, what looks like the Vixen to me is that motorcycle, because it looks like the amulet that she wore. Yeah. But um, it's a really nice ad for the upcoming series, and all this plus Star Spangled Kid and Sandy the Golden Boy. So... I'm so excited that we're going to be covering this soon. I really am. Now, I remember the kid in that title. I don't remember Sandy in that title. Um, Well, we talked about Legaro not being in the title and us assuming that she was put in here and then somewhere during the development phase was taken out. Right. Um, And then kind of put back in during Crisis on Infinite Earths. Right. In a black costume. Uh, But I don't remember Sandy either. So that's one hell of a blind spot if I don't remember Sandy the Golden Boy being in this initial adventure. So, but why is Power Girl running? Yeah, that's a good point. She should be flying. It's it's kind of a jumble. 
Yeah. It's good. It's nice to see the Huntress again. I really do like the Huntress. I like this iteration of the Huntress. Love you know, something concept. occurred to me while I was looking at this picture the other day. And now that I think about it, I guess I guess that the base is kind of covered, but still, my initial thought when looking at this is you know, I wonder if DC missed a prime opportunity, you know, with this team being essentially, you know, the the way it ends up being built is it's the uh the sons and daughters and what is it, godchildren or something that they say of of the Justice Society of America was an opportunity missed for having a child of uh the Earth two Lois and Clark. Yeah. And then I forgot, well duh, you know, Power Girl's right there, so she's kind of taking up the, the legacy and the mantle of Superman for this generation. But still I think that could have been very interesting. I wonder if that was ever even an idea, you know, in anybody's head of, of I'm having. I'm sure it was. I'm sure they kicked around the idea, but uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that it was shot down fairly quickly. You think so? Yeah. Because as much as I really enjoy Infinity Inc., and I do, I like them a lot. In certain odd ways, it's hard for me to put my finger on why I liked the book because I there were so many of the characters on the team that I actually disliked. I mean, actually, a, a you know a, a, a very large proportion of the of the characters that make up the team, I didn't really care for very much. And I think one thing that would have uh, maybe solidified the team a little bit better for me personally, and really would have uh, maybe would have helped the the team a little bit. Was rather than have the scarab, who's uh, was he the actual son of Hawkman? Uh, yeah, the, he's the actual son. He's of, his actual uh, son. I, yeah. yeah, I was trying. Of I Carter couldn't. Remember. And that's right. It was Northwind. That's like the godson. Yeah, that's right. You know, rather than have the scarab, you know, son of Hawkman, be the leader of the team. What if it was the son or daughter of Superman? Like the mm-hmm. son of Superman. I think that could have been really an interesting idea, you know, especially when what we see later on with the young all stars where, um, you know, the Superman stand in there who is very much, you know, a, a, a sort of a, a young, super, you know, almost like a super boy um, is the leader of the team. I think that could have been a very interesting dynamic for uh, for Infinity Inc. It's kind of a shame, although that would have made it kind of a, a, a difficult situation once you know after Crisis when continuity changed. I wonder how they would have explained. Maybe maybe they could have just morphed right into uh, to Arn Monroe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's something to think about. Anyway, it just kind of occurred to me when I was looking at that picture the other day, but. That's pretty much all I got on this one. Uh, all in all, I'm glad to be past this particular story arc because, yeah, it sadly, you know, it was not very good. But, you know, all all great runs have their speed bumps, and this is, you know, one of them, unfortunately. <laughs> this, this one came to a crashing halt. Rather quickly, as a matter of fact. So. I, I feel we'll be able to, to regain a, a full head of steam fairly quickly, though, because I know that some really, really good stories are coming down the pike. And we have a, a classic uh, a classic bust-em-up between two uh, titans coming along pretty soon, mm-hmm. especially looking forward to. Hell yes. So ads this time out, um, 
not a whole lot, but one that really makes me smile every time I see it. Uh, we've got on the inside front cover that NPC ad again. Uh, skipping through, we've got a Bubble Yum ad, which is a word jumble. We have Kids Love Saturdays on ABC. <laughs> Been a long time since we've had one of these. But we got the best of Scooby-Doo, the Little Rascals Richie Rich Show, which I hated, <laughs> Munchie Cheese, which I hated, Pac-Man, which was awful, Rubik the Amazing Cube, which was WTF worthy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the Littles, which was, had a very entertaining theme song and nothing else. I really liked the theme song. I hated the cartoon. The Puppies Further Adventures and the new Scooby and Scrappy-Doo. And Watch for Menudo! <laughs> I should say Watch Out for Menudo. <laughs> Don't <laughs> step in Menudo. <laughs> Star Frontiers from TSR. Yeah, we've seen this ad a thousand times. If you collected comics in 1983, you saw that ad. <laughs> now, here we go. Double page splash, people, right in the middle of the book. NBC Saturday morning. We got the jazz. So, that, that was my Mr. T impersonation for those who care. Uh, we have the Flintstone Funnies, which is represented by uh, Fred and Barney in cop uniforms. <laughs> hey, Fred. You want to try some of that wife swapping stuff, Fred? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Fred, does... Uh... Does your wife's curtains, do they match the drapes there, Fred? <laughs> That's my Barney. I have Barney Rubble feet, which is very sad. Uh, we have the Shirt Tales, which I really liked as a kid. Watched an episode of a couple years ago and wanted to go back to the seven-year-old me and go, there's something better on TV right now. <laughs> what is wrong with you? The Smurfs, and they have the baby Smurf, and that's really where the Smurfs jump the shark for me. Um, Alvin and the Chipmunks. Alvin and the Chipmunks had one of the funniest bits on a children's cartoon that kids would not have gotten, and the only reason I did was I had watched a special on the Beatles like two weeks before. They do kind of a behind-the-scenes of the history of Alvin and the Chipmunks. And at one point, there is scandal surrounding Alvin and the Chipmunks because Alvin says that they're bigger than Mickey Mouse. <laughs> and I went, oh, God, that's subtle. That's funny, though. Yeah, just because, uh, yeah, John Lennon took a little crap for saying that they were <laughs> Yeah, he did. <laughs> Even even though they kind of were, uh, um, Mr. T. This is an awful cartoon, people. I didn't watch this cartoon when it was on. That's how bad it was. It was Mr. T. and a bunch of underage gymnasts, and a little kid that <laughs> wanted to be like Mr. T. So he's kind of like Corey Feldman hanging out with Michael Jackson, except he's not hanging out with Michael Jackson. He's hanging out with Mr. T. So, like, any time now, there should be an indictment for animated Mr. T for being inappropriate with these animated <coughs> underage kids, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I touched the girl inappropriately. <laughs> they said that was a crime, but I pity the fool that doesn't like underage tail. <laughs> Did you ever see... There's a, 
There's one of those redubs on uh, on YouTube oh, somewhere yes. where it's Mr. Teets challenging Superman to a fight with the Rocky Three dialogue. Yes. Yeah. It's awesome. It and he got great. Hawkman as as uh, Mickey. Yeah, <laughs> you get you get no shot at the champ. <laughs> Just <laughs> that shit cracked me up when I saw it. Oh, He's going. Uh, he goes, "Hey, woman." Hey, woman, it's Wonder Woman's looking over at him like, what do you want? It's, that is hysterical. Um, the last one, I'm going to, uh, there's one after Mr. T, but I'm going to stick with the last one. Thundar the Barbarian. Kind of like Jack Kirby's attempt to cash in on Star Wars because Star Wars kind of ripped him off a little bit. So Yeah, it was basically Star, Mo- Star Wars meets Commandy. Yeah. Which actually is not a bad idea when you really think of it. You know, when you got Ookla the Mock. I, I watched it. I actually watched quite a bit of Thundar. It was uh, it was all right. I mean, it was it was generic action cartoon right. from the early eighties. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of depth. But if you wanted to watch a dude swinging around a lightsaber, uh, but like I said, I, I really don't. You know, people are like, it ripped off Star Wars, and it's like really because you know I look at Dark Side and I look at Darth Vader and. Orion wielded the Astro Force. Um, yeah. So, not that I'm saying that George Lucas ripped anything off. I'm just thinking he drew inspiration from a variety of sources. It makes sense that the New Gods might have been one of them. Right. Uh, because also Doctor Doom. Right. Very much a Darth Vader type character. So, um, I was going to make a whiny kid reference but i'm sure there's a issue of doctor of like fantastic four or something where they go back to doctor doom as a kid and he's whiny (laughs) um amazing spider-man and the incredible hulk oh my lanta i loved this cartoon yep the incredible hulk animated series for having only like 13 episodes was really freaking good. Now, was that the one where Stan Lee would introduce the yep. show? Yeah, because that's how I got to know Stan's voice and who he was and everything was... Uh, I mean, I'm sure I knew who he was, but he actually was the narrator on that show and yep. would, would bring the shows in every week. I remember that. I, I liked that a lot. There were... One, the Hulk just looked awesome yeah. in this cartoon. He looked great. The transformation scene was really cool. The only thing that kind of through me every time is that when Bruce Banner would change back, uh, it, he would still have his clothes, his clothes miraculously yeah. sewed back up. Um, Michael Bell did, uh, the voice of Bruce Banner. Uh, I would become more familiar with him as the voice of Duke on GI Joe. He would also do Cyclops. He was also in the pilot episode of Star Trek, the next generation as the, uh, guy that, what what was that alien's name on the planet that was kind of the spokesman for whatever alien entity? Oh, Grobbler Zorn? Yeah. Oh, he's uh, That's he Bruce was uh, Zan of the Wonder Twins, too. And Lex Luthor in the Ruby Spears uh, Superman. That's right, series. yeah. So, um, the origin story that they do, and I think it's the third episode, or is widely considered the third episode outside of having an alien robot in it, is actually fairly faithful to the original Incredible Hulk number one. Which is another reason why I like this series, because it could have very easily just been a ripoff of the television series that was still kind of on at the time. But it really kind of went it went to a more comic book end to it, and 
She-Hulk was in an episode. God, I love this series. But no, I just... Spider-Man is Amazing Friends. I like, you know... That's where I got to see Submariner for the first time. On Spider-Man and the Amazing Friends. Seven Little Superheroes, which is one of the best episodes of that entire series. But that had an... Have you ever seen the Hulk episode of that? Of of which one now? Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends. Um... I'm not sure because I'm thinking of uh, was it the one where it was like Spider-Man went to went to Hollywood or something? Yep. Yeah, okay, yeah, I have seen that one. Yeah, that that's actually if if I'm remembering the story correctly, that's kind of what inspired them to do the Incredible Hulk series because it was. Uh, but that was a cool episode too because it was that was very much like the television series because they picked Bruce Banner up like traveling to Hollywood. And he ends up getting like an odd job on the set. Which sounds either like a James Bond reference or a <laughs> sexual Sounds thing. really so, rude, yes. <laughs> he got an odd job. You ever see the movie Beer Fest? No. There's a gag in it. It's like, okay, I do BJs, HJs, and ZJs. What's a ZJ? If you don't know what a ZJ is, you can't afford it. So... <laughs> Watch Beer Fest. I think you'll like it. Um, Didn't they have sorry. Cap in, in one of the epi- at least one of the episodes of uh, Seven uh, Little Superheroes? Yeah. Yes, they had Cap. They had some Mariner, Shayna the She Devil, Doctor Strange. Uh, for like the five six year old me, that was a big freaking deal to see all those superheroes because I had no idea who they were. But uh, now I got a lot of love for for both of those series, mostly the Hulk because I'm more of a Hulk person than Spider-Man. Right. Um I really wish they would legitimately release that stuff on DVD too. But now that a certain company that was fighting with Marvel owns Marvel, cuz you know that Buena Vista and Marvel were arguing over the distribution rights right. of that stuff, right? Right. You know, I guess that can get worked out pretty <laughs> <laughs> pretty nicely now don't you think is that not available the the um the 82 series isn't no but uh amazing friends has been out on uh dvd hasn't it um i think it's going to be i don't think it has been released okay, yet i could have sworn the 60 that around series was yeah yeah i know that one's um, out there which made me mad because it's like I know everyone loves that one, but Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends was better. Mm-hmm. So, so, and our Spider-Man friends are like are yelling at the iPods right now. So. Well, see for 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 guys like my generation, though, I mean, for a lot of us, that you know, that was some of the earliest Spider-Man. You know, with mm-hmm. its cartoons, and so I, I have kind of a, a sentimental soft spot for them, although. Yeah, I, I tried to watch those uh, a couple years ago when the DVDs first started coming out. And, I, you know, I could watch two or three in a row and then I'd be like, all right, I think I've kind of seen enough of this. You know, whereas some of the later stuff, like, say, Amazing Friends, I could watch the whole series of that because it was entertaining, you know? When Ralph Bakshi started working on the Spider-Man series, like when they finally did the origin story in the beginning of the second series season of the 60s, animated series you watch that you definitely see Bakshi all over it right and it's actually really a very well done episode mostly though it was kind of silly Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends was silly but it seemed to be more rooted in the comic book universe 
and and that's weird to say because there was a lot of comic book things going on and they they adapted certain stories but for me as a kid it was more rooted like it felt more like a comic book thing than the 60s because i at the time i had no connection to those stories whereas this felt you know modern which at the time it was plus you know there's something to be said for Fred from uh, Scooby-Doo being Iceman uh, and Wolverine having an Australian accent, <laughs> uh, which was just weird, which is kind of funny when you consider that Hugh Jackman is Australian. So, that's very true. That's kind of strange. No, the X-Men issue episodes of, of Spider-Man is Amazing Friends. My favorite, though, will always be the origin of Firestar because when I graduated from high school, I moved in with my friend Ben. Because uh, my dad was moving to Georgia, I needed a place to stay. So Ben and I were going to be like roommates in his basement. And the day I moved in, we got pizza and I rented a bunch of cartoons from Blockbuster because I was just on this kick of watching old cartoons. That really hasn't changed all that much from when I was 18. But we rented the episode with the origin of Firestar. And she goes, and and at one point in the episode, she goes, and that's when I discovered my mutant power. And she like lights this telephone on fire. So for like the entire summer, whenever we would do something, it's like, and that's when I discovered my mutant power. (laughs) (laughs) I do that when I have gas. (laughs) You got some really bad gas. (laughs) Yeah, when the people in the hazmat suits come, Scott, you know, you may want to you may want to look into some Beano. Just uh, <laughs> not that I'm really one to talk tonight, because Jesus Christ, I'm bothering myself. <laughs> so uh, behold the power of Blowhard. <laughs> I can see you with a BH on your chest, <laughs> fists on your hips. Uh, that was a good old fashioned Tales of the JSA tangent. Yes, it was. I love it. <laughs> um, Sergeant Rock play sets. Talked about that before. Looks kind of boring. Um, Space Age Computer Memory Calculator. Only three ninety five. The calculator that switches off by itself. If you forget, <laughs> okay. you can get it. It you can get it in black, wine, blue, brown, and gr- who? What? What self respecting kid was getting wine colored? <laughs> Um, on the inside back cover this I remember seeing this ad as a kid and always loving it the monogram models of two masters of the universe vehicles the talon fighter and the attack track attack track was always cool I loved He-Man I can't stand it these days (laughs) I really can't um, and we got a new version of the Kool-Aid Man video game ad. Yeah, see the one that's on the uh, left right there? That's the one that I had. Where The, the Atari 2600 yeah, one? Yeah, where the Thirsties are drinking out of the swimming pool full of Kool-Aid. Wasn't the Intellivision one more entertaining, though? I've, I've actually never seen that in real life. It looks like it would be more entertaining because it looks like it's a little more uh, involved and the graphics are definitely better. But yeah, I've never actually seen it. In real life, before you know, beyond this ad. Sweet. But yeah. Alrighty. We I guess next is uh, elsewhere in the DCU. Yes. 
What do we got this time around? Let's see. What Another we got bunch here. of great covers, actually. Yeah, I like the cover on uh, on uh, Justice League of America 220. Is that a Chuck Patton cover on? Let's see there. Yep, it sure is. Yeah, I liked his stuff. It's too bad his short his uh, run was so short because I I dig yeah. uh, his art quite a bit. I'm about to say I was about to agree with you. That's a beautiful looking cover, and like the the other covers are just as nice looking. So yeah, I guess it is kind of sad that he had some kind of falling out with the industry. Yeah. We got uh, Superman teaming up with Commandy. That's just neat. Mm-hmm. I, like... I wonder who did the interiors on that, because it's a Gil Kane cover, which is kind of hit and miss. But... Willing to bet it's Kurt Swan. No, it's no, uh, Alex, Alex Saviak. Huh. That could be interesting. Yeah. I'll, I'll go Tom. I'm down with that. I love the uh, Walt Simonson cover on uh, Batman 366. That's badass. I got that thing for three dollars at a comic at that comic show we went to together. Wow, that was a pretty good price for that because I've seen that 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 one gets pricey because of the Walt Simonson cover, and that one was used. Wasn't in comic scene. I think it was in uh, Amazing Heroes. Used like in an article about the Batman movie. Mm-hmm. Used that as like one of the images they had in the article because it was Batman fighting the Joker. Right. So for years, I was always wondering what was up with that. We have, and I'm really looking forward to getting to read these because I'm going to be covering them on Bailey's Batman podcast. New Teen Titans number thirty-seven and Batman and the Outsiders number five. With the connecting cover. Yeah. There's a poster available for that that one of these days I'd still like to get. That would be nice to have. I've seen it on eBay from time to... I'm sorry? That would be really nice to have, actually. Yeah, because it's a beautiful uh, Apero. Or is it Apero or is it uh, uh, Um, Perez? Actually, I think it's Perez. Perez does the Titans and Perez... and, and uh, Pero inks the. the That's right. One. That's what it was. Yeah, it was uh, Perez pencils and uh, and Apero inks. That's right. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah, I've seen that poster on eBay from time to time, but it's always just a little too pricey for me. But one of these days, I okay. would like to get that. You got to define pricey for me. Uh, pricier than than I, I'm a I'm a cheap ass when it comes to. That's stuff why I'm asking. That, so. I mean, I'm not trying to be a dick. I'm just no, no. I'm, I'm trying to think curious. of what I've seen it for, and I want to say it's it, it's more than ten bucks, which is about all I would I would really. Yeah, no. I, I, with a poster like that, yeah, I, I agree with that. Because it was probably it was a mass produced poster. It wasn't like a promotional poster, right? That you would see in a comic shop or something like that, which we you have unfortunately turned me on to as an addiction. <laughs> Thanks a lot, pal. <laughs> You're welcome. We've got Sean Connery on the cover of Superman number 390. <laughs> Zardoz returns, yes. Yep. Managed to get Lana Lang to fall in love with him. That son of a bitch. <laughs> I love this cover. I killed my best friend. Well, that, that makes you an asshole. <laughs> he and Hawkman have so much in common. <laughs> now, I could not believe that they brought that guy back post-crisis. I was like, seriously? Yeah, but he didn't last very long. Thank so. God. 
because God knows they drug him out so much in the in the Bronze Age. Yeah, I always found him extremely creepy. I, I don't. I, he just had that that <coughs> weird vibe. You know, it was one of those things where, first of all, put on a shirt. All right. Yeah, for the love of God. <laughs> Dude, there's kids eating in here. Exactly. You need to put on a shirt. Exactly. Uh, but that's how Lana fell for him. That's a great Green Lantern cover. Yeah, I like that one pretty good. I like the uh, the Legion of Superheroes oh, yes. one there too. Although I never really cared for uh, Bearded Starboy very much, but that is I like really Bearded cool. Starboy actually. Really? God knows his original costume never did anything. Yeah, him, yeah, so. his original one was awful. But I mean, I like I like this costume because it you know it's. It's full of stars, but, you know, it just, yeah, there's something about bearded star boy oh that was always a little it's bit full weird. full of stars. Exactly. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Swamp Thing. Yeah, yeah, that's where the story was starting to pick up a little bit, because that, that issue paves the way for uh, the beginning of um, Alan, Moore. Alan Moore's run, yes. And he would actually pick up the pieces of that Anton Arcane story right there, too. Well, he does know the score, so... <laughs> Who uh, who did the cover to this, this action? Ooh, that's Alex Sabic. That is a great cover yes. on Action Comics 550. The day the Earth exploded. See, Superman's coming back from being off on some alien world somewhere, saving, like, green puppies or something. He comes back, and the Earth's blowing up as he comes back into the atmosphere. Way to go, Superman. <sighs> jerk the there's a gil kane cover on on the supergirl number 14 uh it introduces black star i think this is her first appearance uh no 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 she appeared in last uh, last uh in the previous issue um black star is one of those characters that i never liked simply because the who's who entry was done by series artist carmine infantino and it always looked terrible to hmm. me so is he still drawing? He was still drawing the book at that time. Wow. I like that cover as far as the Supergirl aspect, though. She yeah, looks very cover nice. Looks great. Yeah, she's hot right there. Black Star actually looks a lot like uh, the woman that, you know, that uh, Faye, was it Faye Dunaway was the villain in Supergirl the movie? Selena? Selena, yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah, she does. She looks a lot like her, I think. What else we got here? Falls for that poor guy that gets shot in the head by Hans Gruber. Yep. Son of a bitch. <laughs> and would go on to play, what's his Councilman name? Councilman Reeves. And, uh, yeah, you know exactly where I was going to. Yep. Uh, in Batman Mask of the Phantom. Did a great job in that yeah. movie. I really liked him. Because that, that was another case where he could have played that live action very easily. Yep. God, I would love to see that movie adapted live action. Would you really? I mean, I mean, if it, it was done bit. faithfully and done okay. right in in the right hands, I mean, you know, to where it wasn't uh, Christopher Nolan and it wasn't Christian Tim Bale Burton. playing him, you know, then uh, not Tim Burton. No, no, that's what I'm saying. Not Tim. Burton. Yeah, you would, you would want um, somebody trying to think. Of, I, I mean, off the top of my head, I can't think of who I would want to to try to tackle that. But I mean, in the right hands, yeah, I'd, I, I I could go for that because I still okay. say that that's you know. That's Batman to me, but well, it is. It is. I, I do. I have. I have come to agree with you in, in in the final analysis that it's only the only theatrical Batman film that really captured Batman as a character. Absolutely. And there's this great word balloon interview with Marty Pasco where he goes on for a good bit 
about why these characters really only work well animated, right? Instead of live action, and to a large extent, he's he's right. I happen to agree very heartily with that. That's why, in a, in a lot of respects, I kind of wish they'd stop trying with the with the live action stuff, particularly from DC, because I, I'm starting to to really feel, and I and I've had this this. You know this inkling for a long time now that that maybe they're just not meant to be live action. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that that uh, things like uh, like Batman: Mask of the Phantasm or the Last Son of Krypton mini movie, you know, that kicked off the Superman animated series, or even like the World's Finest movie, I think those go a long way to being you know you know Exhibit A for you know why. You, you should you should just keep them as close to their native format as possible. And I mean, animation is you know. Well, look at Justice League. I mean, we've talked about yeah. that in the past, and that Justice League is probably the most pure DC animated series ever. I mean, and just in terms of capturing what makes these characters so great. Right. The problem is, though, is that you know uh, Americans still have that prejudice when it comes to animation. Yeah. And I mean, you know, every once in a while you've got something like, say, Beauty and the Beast or Lion King or something that that is able to stand toe to toe with, you know, the the other summer blockbusters. But for the most part, I mean, realistically, I don't see, you know, I don't see any time soon that we're going to we would be able to have a superman or batman animated movie that could do you know a tenth of something like a like a lion king or a i just don't think it it could happen two years ago when you and i went to see the disney a christmas carol with jim carrey in it Mm -hmm. uh there was the scene where he was being taken to the past and you and i had two very different reactions to that scene yours was you want to see the speeder bike scene from Return of the Jedi done in that kind of computer animated style. Right. My thing was, holy crap, Superman would look great done like this. And uh, to a certain extent, I think that DC and Warner Brothers could have a really successful CGI'd Superman movie, Batman movie, and then lead up to a Justice League movie in that because, and this is the great thing about it, voice actor, it doesn't matter how old the voice actor gets. I mean, right. Kevin Conroy, he's been playing Batman for over for 20 years almost. Right. And it doesn't matter that he's 20 years older, he's still Batman. So you could sign on an actor to voice Superman. And over a 10-year period, release like a Superman film... And then maybe another Superman film, and then a Justice League film, and all the actor has to do is sit in a in a, in a recording booth and work with the director. Exactly. And I think, I think it would probably be better now. I'm I, I have hope for the Superman film that's coming up. Um, I'm going to be really disappointed if if I don't like it. Um, I really want to come out of that theater wanting to go back in and see it again so that can kind of make up for what happened with me and Superman Returns which which sounds like Superman Returns touched me inappropriately which didn't happen at all so 
Actually, I think I that's not. A, I, I think that's not a bad analogy when it comes to Superman Returns. <laughs> I, I actually, he didn't so much rape my childhood. And, uh, I hate that term, by the way. Dumbest term ever. Which is, anyways, um, no, I, I just. Uh, I think with characters like the Flash and Green Lantern, you, you, I mean, I mean, the reason why the scenes on Oa and Green Lantern work so well is they were all CGI, right? Well, see, that was actually something I was just thinking about too. Is it wouldn't even have to necessarily be conventional, um, hand-drawn style animation either. You you could actually do something like I don't know that I'd necessarily want to see mocap. But something like that, like something like uh, I would love to see a Batman film done in the style like the the most recent um, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Did you see that movie? No, I didn't. It was actually really good. I mean, oh, okay. It was, I think it was a little too long, but okay. the animation was beautiful in that. I mean, it was just a gorgeous movie. Um, the story was a little eh. The the problem for me with the with the turtles is you know you you take away the shredder and what are the turtles you know? Yeah, and they don't have much of a they don't have a really good villain base. Exactly, you know? and and that really, um, that really stood out in that movie that you know the the turtles are only as strong as their villain. But that said, what what impressed me the most was that was one of the first. Uh, you know CGI movies where I really looked at it and said, "Wow, I I see great potential for this medium." You know, f- for when it comes to comic book properties, and I think Batman is probably the one that that would lend itself most readily to that. So yeah, I could I would totally be down for something like uh, Mask of the Phantasm to be adapted into that style. I'm not sure what you call that style. Cause I don't know if that's considered motion capture or what that is, but it's a, it's a, it's what, a mask v- of the phantasm. No, I mean the, uh, that TMNT movie. It, oh, it's, okay. I, I'm sure there was probably some motion capture going on, but it's, it's like a very, very gritty, realistic CGI style without looking like that kind of creepy Bob Zemeckis mocap stuff that he's been doing. You know what I mean? So I'm not sure exactly what you call that. So it's clearly CGI, but I, I'm I don't know you know how to break it down finer than that because there's actually now like subgenres of CGI. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even yeah, I think Superman. You know, potentially you could do something like that with Superman. Although with Superman, if it was going to be an animated film, I'd like to see it very much in the style like either like Superman the animated series or that little. Cl- that came out not long ago from that Disney animator that did that. What was that like a three minute oh, clip? That was awesome. That was phenomenal. I would totally shell out for for you know an hour and a half to two hour movie of that. And I that love kicked ass. That, and I love the fact that they got uh, John Hames Newton to voice Superman and Clark Kent mm-hmm. since he was the original Superboy. So yeah, that was phenomenal. Which, yeah, I mean it was see. If if DC is really gonna go forward with this DC Nation thing on Cartoon Network, 
you know, I know for their animated movies, they want to stick with Superman, Batman, and the Justice League, and whoever has a movie coming out that summer. And 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 from a uh, from a purely marketing standpoint, I see that, and I really don't have a problem with it in all honesty, because it it makes sense. You wanna you wanna lead with strength, basically, right? On that, people know who Batman is. People know who Superman is. I know back in like two thousand. 10 somewhere around there at a panel at um, San Diego Jeff Johns you know basically said you know Superman and Batman have have had their chance uh you know I really want a good Green Lantern film and I appreciate that because DC has great characters I right. stare at them constantly on my wall but from unlike Marvel who has been able to capitalize on their characters more effectively than DC um, and get movies out there. And even, you know, even suck movies like Ghost Rider have spawned a sequel. So what the hell? Um, which is why I think there will be a Green Lantern sequel. Cause damn it. If there's a Ghost Rider sequel, Jesus, um, that's coming out in theaters next year. I thought the God. Green Lantern sequel got greenlit already. <clears throat> there's greenlit and there's made. Oh, I gotcha. So, um, but so with the with the with the DC direct, for lack of a better term, the the Warner premiere movies, yeah, stick with the Superman and Batman stuff. But if you've got this Cartoon Network thing, this is where you start playing with shit. You know, right? This is where you commission a Golden Age Superman short. Well, I would think that that Justice League Unlimited proved very solidly that, you know, there's a market for this, that people want to see that. Because look at how the Internet lit up with every new episode. Mm -hmm. And after a while, you could tell that they were really pandering to us, the serious hardcore fanboys, because they kept throwing us more and more Easter eggs all the time. And so, yeah, I want to see that stuff, you know, and to a degree, I, I, I feel like when it comes to the animated stuff, I do feel like they're getting the message and, and they're starting to understand that, you know, it doesn't have to just be Superman and Batman, that you can start to kind of, you know, dig, dig deeper into the, you know, into the well that is the DC universe and, and pull out, you know, some some more of the uh interesting and some of the even obscure characters and run with that stuff because i mean you know we we had a specter short in the spirit yeah. of you know of of Apero's weird adventure stuff Dude, i mean wouldn't how that awesome make a great was... weekly live action series yeah. on like fox or something Definitely. set in the 70s that would have been great Definitely i mean i would totally watch that and if they uh if they could spin the the Jonah Hex thing off into a into a regular show i would watch that you know, you know talk, talk about the guy doing the voice needs to play the character in real life. Jesus Christ. Thomas Jane is Jonah X. Yeah. I'd, that was great. I would totally be down for that. Yeah. So, yeah, in, in that respect, I, I feel like they're doing a phenomenal job. And, and that's why, I, I, again, I think it, it lends into that argument that, you know, maybe they should just at this point, maybe they should just kind of forego the live action stuff and, and concentrate where their strength is. I mean, the you could argue that Warner Brothers would not want to lose the revenues of major motion pictures, but Jesus, they're not getting any now, anyways. 
I mean, they're getting it off of Batman. Seriously. Batman's the only character that made, really made them money. Green Lantern did not make the money they wanted it to make. Right. Superman Returns had the misfortune of having, like, the budgets of the previous Superman movies thrown onto it. Right. So it had to make up for that, which was completely unfair. But, uh, you know, it it was considered a flop, though I'm wondering how $300 million worldwide is a flop. But... Um, so the Batman films are the only ones, especially the second one, which was made more money than every other film in Hollywood combined since the beginning of the time and in the multiverse, I think they finally settled on. Though I gotta tell you, the more I see, and this isn't me pandering to Scott, and this isn't me trying to start anything, the more I see at A Dark Knight Rises, the more I don't want to see this film. I'm dead serious. There may be a Batman film coming out next year that I won't go see. And that's kind of sad, <laughs> but it looks like it looks like they're going to do something really stupid with Batman, and it's going to be considered genius, and that's just going to piss me off. So, <laughs> welcome to the party, friend. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the party. That's what I've been saying since the the first Nolan film. You know, it, it's I I honestly I can say with with complete and total honesty I don't know shit about the new Batman film and I I don't even care to you know I I I'm, I've already made up my mind that I'm going to spare myself and listening ears the aggravation and the headache I'm not even going to bother and it, it's it's looking like it's that that same scenario is very likely going to play out with the new Superman film as well I I think. I think I'm just going to do myself a favor and uh, and stay well clear because I just I don't I don't like where those where those properties are going in the live action uh, adaptations. I just eh, it's just doesn't appeal to me. You know, it, it's fine for those that it, you know if, if if other people are digging it, eh, that's all well and good, I guess. But just. Just not what I want out of the characters, but uh, I, I think that the animated stuff, by and large, you know, has has been pretty good. I want to see more of that. I want to see more money put into that. I want to see them. Uh, I want to see them churned out a little bit quicker too. It seems like there's a long time between these uh, feature projects. I, I'd like to see them come out a little bit faster. You mean, you mean the animated movies? Yeah, it's one every quarter. Yeah, I, they can do they I'm gonna see them faster than that. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm just saying it's just wow, one every three months is actually pretty good. I still haven't picked up Batman Year One. You know, I, I forgot uh, about that. I haven't seen that one yet. I, I you know, I'll, I'll have to check that out. That's not my favorite Batman story, but uh, I, I'll, I'd like to check it out just to see you know the job that they did on it. But uh, I'm I'm actually glad with that one that they that they've gone back as far as they've gone back because up till now the the stories that they've been tackling with those live action or excuse me with those animated features seem like they've been fairly recent stories you know yeah. and and I really want to see them go back and and except do, for doomsday well i mean even that one i would consider a fairly modern story you know relatively speaking compared to some of the stuff i'd really like to see them go back and do and uh it would kind of scare me. It'd make me very nervous. But at the same rate, I would love to see what they could potentially do with, say, like Crisis on Infinite Earths. The problem with that, though, is I, I wouldn't want to see it as a movie because 
I think the problem with say like uh, the Doomsday movie was that you're you're trying to encapsulate this giant, um, you know, this huge story arc, this this basically universe spanning story arc, and break it down into ninety minutes, you know. Well, here's the thing. Dark Knight Returns is going to be a two-part film. No way, really? Yeah, they're doing they're doing it as two separate as as a two-part movie. Oh, Dark Knight Returns the the mil- adaptation yeah. of the mil- Oh, I didn't know that. I knew that yeah, they were doing it, but I didn't know they were going to do it in two the, parts. Yeah, they're doing it tw- it's going to be the last movie of 2012 and the first movie of 2013. Huh. And if you did Crisis like that, then yeah, but again, we got this DC Nation thing, right? right? We've got DC do a mini series and do Crisis and do it right, right? You know, the the thing about Watchmen is as much as I enjoyed the Watchmen film, and I really like the Watchmen. I watched it again the other day. I really, I really like it. Um, <clears throat> I thought the Watchmen should have been a twelve part mini series on HBO. Mm-hmm. And just do it right. I can see that. I could totally see that, actually. Yeah. And that kind of thing. But with with Crisis, what I really would like... You know, you you talk about going back. I would really like them to take a crack at a modern-day retelling of the first JLA-JSA crossover. Mm Mm-hmm. That would be great. I mean, things like that. Go for something like that. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's just... I don't want to get too excited about this DC Nation thing, because I have this sad feeling that in the end it's not gonna they're, they're not gonna pull the trigger on it as much as they could like it's gonna have like this big huge opening but then they're not gonna do a lot with it and they're you know they got Young Justice which is a strong series but they also got Green Lantern which looks like crap uh, and I could be proven wrong on Green Lantern but they have it in that Jimmy Neutron boy genius CGI style which just looks like ass with Green Lantern. Yeah. So I'm just I'm staying I'm staying far away from that. But I've been proven wrong. So there's that. But uh you know I'd I'd rather if they were gonna do a Green Lantern series, I would have rathered something in a more traditional animated style. Personally. Cause, you know, if you can't make it look good, what the hell's the point? Exactly. What were we talking about? Um, the covers. Hey, look, a Superboy cover. The covers this month, yeah. You know, I was noticing on that Superboy cover that the outfit that uh, Lex Luthor's wearing right there looks a hell of a lot like the one that uh, Savannah was wearing. Yes. When he got the powers of Shazam. When he became Captain Savannah, Major Savannah, and then General Savannah. I love that story. Um, it's kind of a dark Jonah Hex cover. Yeah, I like This is actually the uh, one of the first uh, uh, Ross Andrew ones I've looked at and gone, hey, I actually kind of like that one. This happens to Jonah too much where the poor guy just gets stranded in the middle of the desert and has to walk his ass off to get back to civilization. <laughs> this happens Absolutely. to him all the time. Oh, wow. Um, the Batman cover is another example of, boy, did you guys walk into the wrong goddamn hospital yep. room? Because Batman is about to kick your ass. I like the design of it, and you know I love both Batman and Gene Colan, but I have to admit, I, this isn't one of my favorite Colan uh, co- Batman looks really chunky right there. <laughs> hey, I just I got into the Scooby Snacks that we had in the Batcave for... 
when Shaggy and Scooby come over, and they're they're good. He looks like he should be holding a hamburger in one hand. What are you guys doing to Commissioner Gordon? <laughs> With like a ketchup stain on, yeah, exactly. on the bat symbol. <laughs> you know these new Wendy's burgers are really good. By the which, way, I'm by the way, kick your ass. By the way, that the new burgers Wendy's has are really. Good. I'm talking about food right now. I am starving to death. <laughs> Have you had them though? No, I fast? do not. I no, I've been trying to stay away from the fast food lately, dude. Seriously, I haven't had a, a, I, I've only had one or two because, like you, I'm trying to do the same thing. But I had one, and I've never had a double stack that actually tasted like a. a the double stack is about the size of the old double cheeseburgers now. So, but the the only fast food I've had recently was I I went I broke down and I went to uh, KFC recently, but. When I go there, I always get the uh, the new grilled chicken because I figure it's not exactly Which is greasy. Yeah, it's not exactly healthy, but it's healthier, yeah. you know. And uh, yeah, I, I was so happy to get it. Smelled delicious. The box was nice and hot. Got all the way back to the house, and I swear to God that that chicken must have starved to death because there was like no meat on the bone. I was like, this sucks. So yeah, I'm, was not happy with uh, KFC. You know what KFC has? That's awesome. What's that? Lemon parfait. <laughs> uh, so, I, I guess that kind of winds us down for this episode because we've gone on long enough, I think. Yeah, I think so too. But that is it for this week, folks. See, we ended on a positive note. Wendy's has good hamburgers. <laughs> As God intended, because back in the 80s, when you wanted a good fast food hamburger, you went to Wendy's. Um, See, I, that's the last episode I ended on an, an upbeat, you know, a, a recommendation for what I feel is a solid TV show. You end on something that's going to make them fat and give them a heart attack. Way to go, Mike. Point. <laughs> oh, wait, that's not what Don't I wanted to say. Don't kill the listeners. I keep saying <laughs> this to Chris Honeywell. Now I got to tell you, too. We'll make more. Don't it's like kill Doritos. the listeners. It's like Doritos. We'll make more. <laughs> <laughs> fat com- hey, every five seconds in this country, a fat comic book fan is born. Okay? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, I wish that statistic were true. <laughs> but that is it for this week, folks. Be sure to visit our website at www.twotruefreaks.lipson.com for more exciting podcasts featuring both Scott and myself, I will not say Michael, as the script says, (laughs) as well as several other sad and pathetic human beings who have nothing better to do with their time but sit here and talk about fast food joints. (laughs) Join our forum at www.forumforgeeks.com where you can comment on this week's show and interact with us and your fellow listeners and talk about your favorite fast food restaurants. We have built a great, fun, and friendly, that's more important than anything else, friendly community there, and we'd love to have you to be a part of it. As always, you can reach us by email at talesofthejsa.com to tell us what fast food restaurants you like to go to. And of course, Scott and I are all about some Facebook because, let's face it, we have big mouths, like to shoot it off. It's a social network site, and uh, frankly, we can control the horizontal. (laughs) Speaking of Facebook, if you enjoy this show, 
won't you please take a moment to mention us on the social networking site of your choice whenever you're listening or write it on the bathroom of the fast food joint of your choice word of mouth is still the best way to let others know about our show and we really appreciate your helping to grow our listenership so thank you so much for listening folks and be sure to join us again next time for the tales of the Justice Society of America. Let's remember Pearl Harbor as we go to meet the foe. Let's remember Pearl Harbor as we did the Alamo. We will always remember how they died for liberty. Let's remember Pearl Harbor and go on to victory.